So flick one page over. Two for me because I've got a big text. Uh, Judges 3 verse 7. We read the verses 7 to 11. There we read, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan, Rishathaim, eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. His hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim, so the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So, Father, reading of God's word, may he bless it in our hearing. Dear Church of Christ, I wonder if as we came into worship today, standing at the front door, and I gave you all a little, a little sheet of paper with a pole on there, and on that sheet of paper I had the names of the main judges, and I asked you to tick whichever one you wanted to hear a sermon on today. So there's Samson, there's Jephthah, Ehud, um, there's Gideon and Barak, and then, and then Othniel. I think a lot of you would pick Samson. He's an exciting sort of fellow. Uh, if you're left-handed like myself, Ehud would be your man. You want to hear about him. Uh, Gideon's pretty exciting. Jephthah's a little bit confusing, because if you know the story, he might sacrifice his daughter or he might not. And I've always wondered, like, does he actually do it or not? So I'd probably put my hand up for Jephthah personally. But I really think if I took those pieces of paper from you, probably none of you would have ticked the box next to Othniel, which is a little bit sad um, because Othniel is the hero of the book of Judges. Uh, Othniel is the picture-perfect judge in this book. He's the judge that we're given to compare all of the other judges to. And, and it's a little bit unfortunate that we don't really, we don't really know him that well. And that if I'm right, he'd probably be the last judge that you want to be here today listening to a sermon on. So we'll try to, we'll try to fix that and remedy that as we have a look at Othniel together this afternoon. What we know from, from Othniel is that he is the picture-perfect judge. The description that we get of him is a description of someone who really has no character flaws at all. We're told a little bit about Othniel in the introduction to the book of Judges, in Judges 1, that passage that we read together. There we're told that Othniel is um, part of the tribe of Judah. 
If you read through chapter 1, you'll know that Judah is the only tribe that's obedient to God when they are to um, wipe out the Canaanites and dwell in the land of Canaan. Uh, We know that Othniel's a warrior. He's the guy who captures Kiriath Sepha. He's a brave man. He's good pedigree. He's related to Caleb. If you know your Bibles, you know that Caleb was one of the 12 spies originally who wanted to come into the land of Canaan. Uh, Not only that, he he marries up. He gets a perfect wife for himself, Axa, the daughter of Caleb. As we read about her, we should be reminded of the Proverbs 31 woman. And it seems to me that like there's a big ministry associated with Proverbs 31 women. Um, Not a woman myself. But I'm sure you women are well aware of that. Um, She's like that Proverbs 31 woman, except instead of going out and buying a field, she goes one step further and gets the field as well as springs of water, upper and lower springs. So he he marries the perfect woman. All in all, he is the the picture-perfect judge. And so we come to Othniel. He's placed at the beginning of the book of Judges so that we can compare all of the other judges to him. And they don't measure up with who he is. The book of Judges is actually a book with a bit of a downward spiral where the judges get worse and worse and worse. Um, And you end up with with Samson. And just just to make it clear, you picture Othniel and Axa standing there and then Samson and his Philistine wife and mistresses standing next to him. And there's Othniel. He cares about God's mission. He cares about obedience to God. And he's got his perfect wife. And here's Samson the last judge, he, he really doesn't care about attacking God's enemies. He does it for selfish reasons. He'd much rather sleep with the enemy than kill the enemy. Uh, his wife is um, someone who actually betrays him into the hands of his enemy. And so as we, as we step through this book of Judges, Othniel is the model, the picture-perfect judge that we compare all of these other judges to as we go in this downward spiral. And so as we look at Othniel, we're going to look at him with with the theme of the perfect deliverer. It's our theme. We're going to see two points. First, we're going to see his picture perfect. And secondly, we'll see that he is the perfect picture. And now, to understand Othniel and to understand who Othniel is a judge, we have to take a step back and familiarize ourselves a little bit with the book of Judges itself. Uh, The book of Judges, as I mentioned earlier, explains the history of the Israelite people as they entered into the promised land. And we read the law together, the law of the covenant. Um, God brought them into a covenant relationship with him. The first two chapters of Judges tell us how the Israelites broke that covenant. Covenant's a big word, we don't really use it all that often. Uh, But if you want to understand a covenant, we have one covenant that we're all really familiar with. Um, It's a marriage covenant. In a marriage, you have two parties, a husband and a wife, and they both make promises to each other. Um, I married Claire, who's with us this afternoon, and when we were married, I made a promise that I would love and care for her. And she made a promise that she would love and obey me. in our marriage form, we still have that word, obey. So when the Israelites entered into covenant with God, God promised that he would love and care for them, and they were to love and obey God. 
And the beginning chapters of Judges tell us that the Israelites broke their covenant with God. So Judges 1, if we're going to summarize that really briefly, the Israelites didn't obey God. They disobeyed him. They didn't push the Canaanites out of the land of Canaan. In Judges 2, the Israelites didn't love God. They went and they worshipped other gods instead, which God likens to adultery. Uh, Baals and the Asheroths is what they chased after. So it's a story of how the Israelites were meant to be in covenant relationship with God, but they did not love or obey him. They broke that covenant. And because of that, when we come into this period of history, which should have really been a beautiful time of rest for God's people, it should have been a time when they were influencing all the nations around them, so that the other nations got to see who God was, and so that they would come to praise God as well. Instead of being that, this period of history was a period of history that runs in a cycle. There's a cycle that repeats itself through the book of Judges. It's a cycle of rebellion, followed by ruin, followed by rescue, then rest. And that cycle repeats itself again and again and again and again and again in this book. It's a period of rebellion. God's people don't obey him. They don't love him. Followed by ruin, God is angry with his people. Followed by rescue, they cry out to God to rescue them. Followed by rest, they have rest from their enemies for a period of time. It's important that we understand that background because it's the framework of this book. It's also the framework for the Othniel story that we'll step through together this morning. Because we see that this story actually follows that cycle of rebellion, ruin, rescue, and rest. And so, our text begins with the very start of this cycle. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. This is the rebellion. We read that God's people forgot him. It uh, doesn't literally mean they, they forgot his name, that they couldn't remember him anymore. When we read that they forgot God, it meant that they said no thank you to a, to a personal relationship with him. Instead of being in a personal relationship with Yahweh, they chose to be in a personal relationship with the gods of Canaan, Baal and his wife Asherah. It's interesting for us. It gives us a very valid question. Have you forgot God? You may be like, of course I haven't forgotten God. I'm here this Sunday. I wouldn't be here if I forgot God. But it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Because forgetting God doesn't mean not remembering who he is. It's not something to do with our heads. It's remembrance of God has something more to do with our hearts. So when I ask that question, have you forgotten God? It's, it's a question of, are you, are you walking in a personal relationship with God right now? It's important that we haven't met God at some point in our life. But what's important is that we're walking with God today. It may have been that God worked mightily at one point in your life. And you can look back and you can say, yes, I remember there. God was, God was working in my life. I met him there. But that's not what's important. What's important is that you're walking with him 
day by day. And we see with the Israelite people that they forgot God. They no longer wanted to be in a personal relationship with him. And so following on from the rebellion comes a time of ruin. Verse 8, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. Now, Cushan Rishathaim wouldn't have been this guy's actual name. Um, it's not what his mum and dad called him when he was born. Uh, it means Cushan the doubly wicked. It's a play on his name. Uh, a little bit like, like Bloody Mary, we would call the Queen, or Ivan the Terrible. This is a name that people would have called this king because he was a wicked king. His name is King Doubly Wicked, and Mesopotamia literally is double waters. So King Doubly Wicked from double waters. And we read that it's in anger that God sells them into the hand of this king. It's interesting to realize that Cushan the doubly wicked doesn't happen to invade Israel by chance. This is God's work. God is at work here. God is selling the Israelites into their hand in anger. Now, reading a, a story with my five-year-old son, Austin. We read him a book before he goes to bed. Um, a book that we're reading with him recently is called Flicker. It's about a horse. About halfway through, I realized it's no book to read to a five-year-old. Um, but by then, it was too late, and I had to edit out as we read through. But it's interesting. There's this, there's this horse in the book. I think its name is Rocket. Um, and it's this crazy horse, and it makes this rancher really mad. Um, and he's really mad at this horse. Um, so he decides to sell, like, all the offspring of this horse. He doesn't care how much he gets for him. He just wants to get rid of him. And he sells them to whoever would buy them because he just wants them gone. And we think of God here selling his people to doubly wicked. And we have to realize that what God is doing is totally different than, than in Flickr with, with the offspring of this, this horse called Rocket. Um, it's not God just being angry and saying, I want nothing to do with you. I'm selling you. I'm getting rid of you out of my sight. Uh, actually, it's totally different what God is doing here. God's anger for his people is not bad news. It's not good news either, but it's, it's sort of like bad good news. God is upset with his people. He's angry. And Cushion, doubly wicked, is not a nice person to have ruling over you. So that's bad. It, it hurts. It's not nice to be living with him as your ruler. But it's also good news because God is not giving up on his people. When God is selling his people into the hands of this king, he's, he's selling them into his hand because he wants them to come back to himself. God's like, I know you've forgotten me. I know you've rejected me. I know you think Baal and Asherah are the answer for all of your problems, but I'm going to show you that they can't actually save you. I'm going to show you that they can't actually give you satisfaction. And so God sells them into the hands of this enemy with the very intent that they will come back to him. So although it's bad news, it's also good news because God is calling his people back to himself. Something important to 
realize for us as Christians as well that God has a purpose for his punishment. Hebrews 12 verse 6, we read that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We have to realize that when, when God disciplines us, he's not saying, I'm done with you and I don't want anything to do with you. When he places us in difficult circumstances, when we deal with the consequences of our sin, it's not us paying the price of that. No, we can't pay the price. Only, only Jesus can and, and Jesus has. But there's a purpose in the punishment. Yeah. God is, is calling us back to him. He doesn't discipline to push us away. He disciplines to pull us close. And so, in this time of ruin, it leads God's people to cry out to the Lord. They call out to God. It's a, it's a cry of pain. This king is living up to his name. He's being doubly wicked. He's hurting the people. They cry out in pain. We shouldn't see this as a cry of repentance. It's a cry of pain. We know that because in the introduction to the book, repentance isn't actually mentioned, but rather, Judges 2 verse 18, we read that the Lord saved them because he was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. God is moved to pity, and so he comes to rescue his people. To rescue them, he sends his deliverer. We read about this deliverer. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And so we are introduced to Othniel. And as we come to this story about Othniel, perhaps we come to the point where we, we realize why it is that none of us would have ticked the box next to Othniel, that we wanted to hear a, hear a story, a sermon on the, on the story of Othniel. Because when we read about the deliverance that Othniel brings, we really aren't told much. There's, there's no hitting people over the head with the jawbone of a donkey. There's no poking people with an ox goad. There's no stabbing people in the belly with a homemade little dagger. There's no smashing glass jars and waving these um, torches of fire. Instead, all we simply read is that he went to war. It really is a boring story. He went to war, and that's the end of it. That's all we're told about Othniel. But in this little short account, God doesn't tell us anything about the way Othniel delivered for a reason. Because he tells us something else here. And he wants our attention to be on something else. And that is in verse 10, where we read that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel. It doesn't matter what weapon Othniel used. It doesn't matter how big his army was. It doesn't matter what his tactics were. What matters for the judge that God raises up is that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. That God is working with his deliverer. That's all that matters. And as we go through the cycle of judges mentally in our minds, we realize that that really is all that matters. Because after Othniel, God chooses to raise up some pretty weak judges. 
raises up Barak and Gideon, both who were scared, raises up Samson, who no one would ever choose to be a judge. And yet what's important for each of these men is quite simply that the Spirit of the Lord is with them. That's why Gideon had to get his army from thousands of people down to 300 people. Because all that matters is that the Lord is with us. It's something that I realize each week as a, as a pastor. What matters is that the Spirit of God is upon me and working through me. God uses weak people. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What matters as I toil is that God's Spirit is at work. My gifts and my talents are, are second. You're going to be blessed with a pastor soon. As Pastor Tim comes here and as he begins to learn the ropes, preaching amongst you, what's important, what's central, is not the individual gifts and talents that God has given Pastor Tim. And he has gifted him in many ways. But what's important, what's vital, is that each week, Pastor Tim is is relying on the Spirit of the Lord. Each week that you're coming in prayer for your pastor, that the Holy Spirit can be working through him. And it's not only important for us as pastors, but we confess that each and every one of us are Christians. And in the Heidelberg Catechism, when we confess what it means to be a Christian, it actually means that each of us are appointed in, in three ways, as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. Each of us has a calling as a prophet to confess God's name, as a priest to present our entire lives as a sacrifice to God, as a king to rule with God. And in that calling, each and every one of us are weak. It's difficult to speak God's truth. It's really difficult to speak God's truth at school, at work, in your family. It comes with cost. And yet, as we seek to to bring out that calling, that prophetic, that priesting, that kingly calling. What doesn't matter is is our personal strengths, but what really matters is that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. And so we come into that period of rescue. And Othniel, as it is, is put to the side and God and his Spirit is put front and center because that's what must be front and center. And then we finally come to that to that last period of the cycle, rebellion, ruin, rescue, and then rest. And we read that the land had rest for 40 years. And so what we have in Othniel is a, is a picture-perfect deliverer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with the way that God rescues his people through him. He really is a is a, is a hero that we can emulate and that any Israelite could emulate and that all of the rest of the judges should have emulated. And yet, while we see that he's a picture-perfect deliverer, we realize that he is not enough. Because the peace that Othniel gives, the rest is shattered by the The final verses of our text. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And we're left asking ourselves, well, what's next? 
We don't have to wait very long to find an answer because in the very next verse, we're told the answer. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You see, Othniel as a deliverer, he could rescue God's people from the hand of King Doubly Wicked, could do that fine, but he couldn't actually save the Israelites from their actual problem. And the problem of the Israelites was that they had a heart that didn't want to love God, that they were brought into covenant with God, but they didn't seek to obey him and they didn't seek to love him. And Othniel couldn't do anything about that heart. And so while he was picture perfect, he is just a picture. He points forward, as every single judge does, to the perfect deliverer, to Jesus, to the one who deals with the heart of the problem, which starts the cycle each and every time, our rebellious hearts. There's Jesus who was anointed and empowered by the Spirit. Jesus who died but lives again. Jesus whose victory was a double victory over sin and Satan. Jesus who transfers us into his kingdom and gives us a new heart and fills us with his spirit so that we live for him. That's the beauty of the deliverance that Jesus gives us. His deliverance is a, is a deliverance that gets us right to our heart. It's a deliverance that transforms us, that gets to work within us, that can solve the problem that Othniel never could solve. And perhaps you're here today and you're wondering, is Jesus my deliverer? So I've heard about Jesus I know about Jesus, but is, is Jesus actually for me? Does he deliver people like me? I know my guilt, I know my shame. No. Is Jesus mine, or is he just for other people? If that's you this afternoon, I'd like to point to one more thing about Othniel. And that is, Othniel is not actually an Israelite. Othniel is a Kenite. Read that Othniel is the son of Kenaz. He was actually related to the Midianites, to Moses' father-in-law Jethro. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, Moses asked Jethro and the rest of the Kenites if they would join the Israelites. Jethro said no, but some of the Kenites did join. They attached themselves to the tribe of Judah. You know, the only thing about Othniel that's unexpected, the only thing that's not quite picture perfect about him, is his family tree. He's not a kosher Jew. He's not a true blue Israelite, as we say in Australia. You know, it's the same with Jesus. The only thing that's not perfect about Jesus is his family tree. We read of Jesus' family line in 
the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 1. And when we read Jesus' family line, we see that it includes non-Israelites. Right in the middle, there's Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, and Ruth the Moabites. But not only that, it includes sinners. So step through that family tree, we see people who have messed up sexually. There's incest. Judah and Tamar are mentioned. There's rape. David and the wife of Uriah the Hittite are mentioned. There are families that have killed other people. The sons of Jacob are mentioned, who, who killed in cold blood an entire city of people. There's the sons of David mentioned, who murdered each other. It's a broken family. They've lied to each other. Think of Jacob and Isaac. They've sold their very own brother into slavery. They're a, they're a family that is just loaded and dripping with guilt and shame. And that's Jesus' family. And the beautiful thing is Jesus isn't ashamed of his family. But Jesus has come to take his family's shame upon himself. And if you are here and you are filled with, with guilt, you are filled with shame, you have that question, do I belong? Just have a look at that family and if you're anything like me, see, I do belong. I belong right here, I belong right in. I fit in this family. And so be sure that Jesus is for you. You know, by way of closing... A central question as we look at this judge called Othniel is not, do you know Othniel? It's not, do you want to hear about Othniel? Because Othniel is so exciting. But it's actually, do you know Jesus? Because Othniel simply functions to point away from himself to Jesus. His intention is to point to the perfect deliverer who's not a picture. So the question we close with this afternoon is, do you know Jesus? Come, find him again today and rest in his deliverance. Amen.